My name's Dan. I'm going to be preaching to you this morning. And uh, we're preaching from Philippians chapter 3. Uh, you know, God has a plan for your life. And today we're going to get right into the heart of what that is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7. It should appear on the, the screen behind me. The Apostle Paul says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you'd open up our hearts and our minds to understand your word. Please feed us, Lord. Lord, this is food to us. This is your nourishment for us. So I pray, Lord, help me to unpack this. Help me to, to, to make it clear. Help us to receive it well. Help us to draw close to you now. Amen. Relationship with God is the greatest possession that you can have. It's the greatest thing. It's better than anything else that you could have. And these verses we've looked at today, Paul is talking all about his relationship with God through Jesus. And it focuses all on one verse in particular, verse 9, where Paul says, And my longing is to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, keeping the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So right away, what Paul says about his relationship with God, he said, It's not something that I've manufactured on the inside by doing things according to the law, according to the Ten Commandments or the the other laws of the Old Testament. He said, this came to me as a gift from outside. I was was watching the the kids do sport uh, a few months back and I was chatting to one of the school mums on the the sidelines and we were having that sort of chat about, you know, so what have you been doing this week? What's your job? All that sort of thing. And and uh, she, she's a, a barrister, and uh, she, she was chatting to me. She said, so what, she said, oh, she said, I hear you're a minister. And uh, it, it, when people get that piece of information, the, the conversation's always awkward after that because they, they don't know what to ask. The, the, the question they always ask is this. They said, gosh, that must be very rewarding. And I said, well, yeah, yeah, it is. It's great. You know, it's a, I, I really, really love it, yeah. But then her second question kind of caught me off guard because she said, she said, so do you have to wear anything special for your job? <laughs> Any special clothes? And, and straight away I thought, well, in a sense, I, mean, I, I regard all my clothes as pretty special, to be honest. 
they've, they've been with me a long time, and they're kind of like old trusty friends that I, I wear for church and every other day of the week as well, to be honest. But I, I kind of knew what she was getting at. She was asking me, well, uh, do you wear the uniform? Do you wear the dog collar and the cloak, like in, in the movies? And I, I said, well, actually, we're not that kind of church. We're pretty informal. We don't put leaders on pedestals. We're kind of friends primarily, and, and we actually believe that's a really important value. And, uh, and, and if you're new here, that, that's so important to us that we, we treat one another as equals here before God. And uh, you know, you, when you see uh, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, you understand that Jesus obviously didn't dress any differently to anybody else. He had to have a sign to identify him. When Paul went up to Jerusalem to, to find the other apostles, he said, I, I spoke to those who seemed to be leaders. He didn't look for the ones with big crosses around their necks and the cloaks and say, that must be them. He said, no, there was something more organic about leadership. Anyway, I, I didn't give this lady my full uh, thesis on, on uh, how, why we dress down for Sunday. But I, I, kind of, I thought it was an interesting conversation. So I said, I said what about you? I said, you're, you're a barrister. I said, do, do you robe up? And uh, she said, yeah. She said, yeah, and the wig as well. She said, I put the wig on and I, I robe up. And, uh, and I said, do, do you find that a bit weird? I said, in this day and age, doesn't it seem a bit countercultural, a bit strange? And she smiled. She said, well, no. She said, I, I really like it. She said, I, I like it because I go from being a, a mum into the normal world. She said, and then I go into that courtroom and I know who I am. I know that... I'm, I'm a certain person to the judge and the jury and, and the, and the uh, clients that I work for. She said, it fills me with a sense of confidence that I know I'm there with a certain remit. And it, I thought that was a fascinating comment. Uh, many of us would associate uniforms with school uniforms, and that probably did nothing for us. But I guess if you wear a uniform for work, what other people would say is this, that, yeah, it gives me that sense of respect and inclusion of being accepted, of having clear purpose and usefulness. And it's interesting that Paul talks about this is the kind of thing that God gives to him as a gift. It's something from without. It's like clothes that he wears. If you ever go and see a football team play, they don't just wear all their own clothes on the pitch. No, they, they wear the kit. And you can't just wear the kit. You have to earn that place on the team. And if you're a fan, you look around the stadium and all the kids are wearing the replica kits because that's the closest you can get as a fan. You can wear the replica, but you can't, you can't make yourself a professional footballer. You have to earn that place. And Paul says his understanding of the gospel, his understanding of God was he went from being a fan. In fact, he was a fanatic. He was somebody who pursued God, but at best, he pursued him without inside knowledge. And he said... And then one day, God gave me himself. He gave me his righteousness as a gift. I want you to imagine. Here's one for the footballers among you. So, sorry, Hibs fans. This is a heart's top. But let's imagine that Jesus... <laughs> let's imagine he's the best football player in the world. You know, he's better than Messi or Neymar Jr., or Ronaldo. Let, let, let's pretend Jesus has got all the skills, everything. And you're watching him play. And then one day, he points out to you and he says, come here. And you think, oh, great, he's invited me on the pitch. And he takes his shirt off. And he puts it on you. And he says, now you are me. 
Now all of my skills, all of the stuff that people admire about me is now credited to you. This is what happens when you become a Christian. God gives you his shirt. Not only does he give you his shirt, but he changes your life on the inside to make you more like him as well. And it's an incredible thing. And these verses are some of the most incredible in the Bible. Let's put that there, shall we? No, let's not. Um, (laughs) It's not something you manufacture within. It's something that is given from without. In Isaiah 61, it was prophesied. It says, he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. It's clothing that God gives you, and it comes by believing in him. A very, very simple thing to do. It's our greatest possession. And Paul terms it in these unusual terms for us. Anybody here into business? Anybody here like money? Yeah, okay, fine. So what what we have here, this is going to be a profit-loss diagram. Because that's the terminology Paul is using in verse 7. He says, whatever were gains to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul is saying everything about his life so far can be summed up on this diagram I'm about to draw. So let's just say for a moment you're starting a business and... If you're starting a business, then this is what you want to happen. Oops. This is your profits on this side of the line. And these are your losses on this side. So money that you make versus money that you have to spend on salaries or, or equipment or whatever that is. And to make money in a business, you need this to be more than this. Do you follow me? It's quite simple, isn't it? So profit needs to be greater than loss for you to make money. That's what business, all, every business works on. Now, Paul makes a spiritual analogy of this. He says, he says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now, for some of you, you're going to jump to something which isn't what I'm saying. So pretty much every religion of the world operates on this principle. And that is to say, if you do enough good stuff, then the bad stuff you do, ultimately God will hopefully be merciful to you. And as long as you don't do so much of that as you do of that, then you'll probably be okay. And so we can think about these things in terms of, well, yeah, here's some of the stuff that Dan Hudson does wrong. He loses his temper with his kids sometimes. He isn't the best of husbands always. He's a bit inconsiderate. Sometimes he gets a bit argumentative and a bit stuck in his thoughts. He doesn't really open his mind to things. And and we can build up a picture for ourselves. These are the negatives in our life. But then alongside those, we think, well, you know, at my best, I'm a pretty good dad. At my best, I I can be quite a loving husband sometimes. And at at, at times, I can be quite a good church leader, and that that could put me up here somewhere. And at times, I I I could preach reasonably well, and that might put me up here somewhere. And we can think, well, as long as that's better than that. That's not at all what Paul is saying in these verses, because I don't know if you read it, he says, whatever were gains to me, whatever was to my profit, he says, all the good stuff, all the stuff that people liked about me, everything good that I liked about myself, 
and that other people liked about me, people that characterized me as good in that area, he said, I consider all of that as loss. That goes to that. He said, all of it, all of it is loss for the sake of Christ. When he talked about loss, he wasn't talking about his sin. He was talking about his self-righteousness. And he said, I consider that all loss. You think, well, that's bad news. But he then finishes the sentence. He says, in comparison with the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. He said, that's the righteousness that makes everything worthwhile. Jesus. And funnily enough, that helps pastorally for us in every situation because if we live our lives based on the things that go well for us, when those things don't go so well for us, we, we find, oh, well, people don't like me as much as I did, and people didn't laugh at my last joke, and they, 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 they didn't come out with me for my birthday when I invited them to. And so so we, we begin to be like yo-yo Christians, and we think, well, sometimes I feel good, sometimes I don't. But when you consider everything in your life, good or bad, to be lost with comparison to the greatness of knowing Jesus, then that's an incredible force for stability in your life. Paul had plenty of reason to be confident. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He said, I, I had it all. But for whatever was my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? 1 Peter 1.7, the apostle Peter wrote to some troubled Christians who were really going through it. And he tries to bring some meaning to the trials that they're facing for being Christians. And he says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He says, because ultimately this, this is worth more than anything. Jesus is worth more than any relationship in this life. He's worth more than any career progression. He's worth more than uh, getting married or having children. He's worth more than sex. He's worth more than all of that. He's our greatest possession. He's also our greatest experience. Verse 10. The danger is we can see this is purely transactional. Well, it's true, but so what? Did Paul know more than just believing something? Well, verse 10 tells us the answer to that. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. It's something deeply experiential for him. And I want to suggest that Christianity is deeply experiential. It's something that we're to know. He says, I want to know Christ. That word know, I'm aware we, we're in an academic city. Some of you are revising for exams right now. And the hope is this, you're reading your books and you're just trying to cram as many words from your page into your head for a maximum of two weeks until you sit your exam. And then you don't care if they drop out. It's head knowledge. That's one kind of knowledge, but... The Bible talks about knowledge as something so much deeper, so much more intimate. 
It's something not just in the head, but in the heart. In fact, it, it talks about Adam knowing Eve in the sense of he, he lay with her. It, it talks about the most intimate relationship you can have. And Paul says, I, I want to know Christ that way. That's how I want to know God. In fact, I don't know if you noticed as we read those verses this morning, how many times he mentioned the word Jesus or Christ or him or his 13 times in seven verses. That tells you something about the Apostle Paul. He was pretty besotted with Jesus. And uh, do, you know, do you know anybody who's in love, or anybody who's just kind of started going out with somebody and you're their friend? Have you had that experience and you're trying to talk to them and, and what are they like? They're just, oh, she's this and she's that or he's that. And you think, please, for the sake of our friendship, stop talking. <laughs> Don't want to hear about it. You know, just let's have the normal conversations we used to. Don't want to hear all about your love life. Now, you could mistake Paul for thinking, well, he's just a bit enthusiastic. He's clearly quite a young Christian at this point. Do you know how long Paul's been a Christian at this point in his life as he's talking so fondly of Jesus and everything he means to him? 26 years. 26 years. And he's still talking about Jesus as if he met him yesterday. In, in our culture, we associate enthusiasm with youth. And we kind of think, oh, and as you go old, you get a bit grumpy. And you kind of... And we, we have this thing in our, our world, we call it midlife crisis, which is, I think, I think I might be in that right now. I don't know. It's, 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 somewhere, it's somewhere between age 40 and 50, 60, something like that, isn't it? And you begin to realize your life is rather much more monotonous than you hoped it might be. And you know, you're doing the same things every day, year in, year out. And you have choices to make. When you come into seasons of your life that seem mundane and just predictable, some people, they just get despondent. They just go down with, oh, it's just rubbish. Some people choose sin. They say, well, what I need to do is spice up my life. I need to have an affair or, 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 or do something that's just going to make it exciting for me again. Paul doesn't choose either of those options. He doesn't choose despondency and he doesn't choose sin as being the solution. He chooses knowledge of Jesus. And that is always your go-to place. If you're feeling a bit lost in your season of life right now, go to Jesus and knowing him better. Because knowledge of him trumps every other thing. There was a, a lady called um, Joni Erickson. You may know her story. As a teenager, a young teenager, she was a young, healthy American girl, and, and she had a diving accident. She, she, on holiday, she, she dived into a pool. It was a shallow pool. She broke her neck. They rushed her to hospital, but she was paralyzed for the rest of her life from the neck down. Never walked again. Spent the rest of her life in a wheelchair. And through that, she, she got horribly depressed. She got suicidal because she thought, my life is not worth living. And yet in the midst of that, she began to read her Bible and she began to find out about Jesus and she became a Christian. And then she found that Jesus 
helped her and gave her joy and, and fulfillment. And she began to tell her story to people all around the world as much as her health would allow. But people would always ask her this question. And they'd say, well, aren't you a bit angry at God, Joni? Aren't you a bit cross that he didn't stop you having that diving accident? Because you've spent your whole life wasted in a wheelchair. And you could have been enjoying life so much more. And she would always answer that question the same way. She'd say, well, if you're asking me if I'd rather have my health, if I'd, if I'd rather have my health, of course I, of course I would. She said, I'd, I'd much rather be walking around. She said, but if you were to give me the choice between walking around, running around, without knowing Jesus, or being in a wheelchair with Jesus and knowing him, she said, I would choose the wheelchair any day. Isn't that incredible? That's how knowledge of Jesus changes us at the deepest level. And that knowledge fills us with resurrection power. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. It's an experience. Paul has spent his whole life observing observing the law, observing how you live a good life and trying his best to imitate. Now he says the power source is on the inside, the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead now at work in him. It's not the power of alignment, but it's the power of God at work in your life. What about suffering? He says, I want, I want to know the participation in his sufferings. You think, really? <laughs> really? Paul... He's saying, I want to know suffering in my life. That's a pretty bamboozling thing to say. And perhaps we don't even begin to understand that in our culture where we face so few persecutions and trials relatively. But we perhaps get the idea of it when we hear of, sort of ISIS in the Middle East and them sort of crucifying Christians and beheading children. We think, gosh, that, that's suffering. And we wonder, how on, how on earth do they not recant their faith in, in, in the face of extreme persecution. And I think the answer is this, they've tapped into a knowledge of Jesus, that even in the face of death, they say, you know what, I'd, I'd rather die with Jesus than live and recant him. And the sufferings that Paul talks about, they're not redemptive sufferings. He's not saying he's contributing somehow to his own righteousness with God. He's saying that when I suffer, I love it because I get to know just how much Jesus suffered for me. When I suffer and I feel pain, I get to sit there and I pray and say, thank you, Jesus, you did even more for me. It's the participation, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And it's hope-filled. So as well as being our greatest possession, our greatest experience, it's our greatest purpose. And this is my final point. Verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. So Paul finishes on this point. He says, I haven't got it all yet. Well, he seems to clearly have quite a lot so far. 
He says, I, I know Christ, I know the power of his resurrection. That's incredible. He's got enough to motivate him for the rest of his life. But he says, there is even more to come. And what he's experienced so far in his life, he said, this is just the down payment and the deposit of what is to come. He says, I haven't already obtained all of this. He says, but one day, he says, I hope to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And it's fascinating. He speaks in these concrete terms. He says, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. These are all things he knows now. And he says, yeah, I can talk to you about these things. He says, he says, and I hope one day to attain to the resurrection from the dead. What he's saying is, I haven't experienced that yet. He says, I haven't died and my body hasn't been resurrected yet. And he can't even quite get his head around that. But he says, I know this will happen. And he knows that the discomfort that he faces in this life will one day be more than made up for by the comfort he receives in a resurrected body before God in heaven forever. So how does Paul keep motivated? He says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Again, I want you to see something important. When, often when you hear those verses talked about, you assume what he's saying is this, forgetting what is behind, or forgetting about all your sin and all the rubbish from your past. Forget about everything you've done wrong. Keep going. That's a good kind of mantra, isn't it? That pretty much everybody in life would say, yeah, forget the past, just keep going ahead. What Paul is saying is something different. He said, don't just forget the past mistakes because God's forgiven those, great. He says, forget anything that makes you feel like somehow you've arrived already. And here's the danger for you as a Christian, that God is working in your life. He's done incredible things in your life already. If you ask a Christian friend, what has God done in my life? They will probably be able to talk to you for a long time about the changes and the gifts that he's brought in you and the blessing you are to them. And the trouble is that we can get self-satisfied. We can say, well, yeah, well, God's done some stuff in me. It's pretty good. I'm kind of working my way up the chart again. Paul says, no, he says, forgetting what is behind, keep putting everything, keep putting everything here, 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 every good thing God is doing, keep putting it here and keep relying on Christ entirely for your future. The images of a runner running for the prize. When you're a runner, if you're in the Olympics or doing any kind of sport, You don't sit your race, start your race on the starting blocks, kind of thinking about your past victories, reminiscing about how good it's been and how much better you are than the rest. No, you fix your eye on the goal, and you say, I will get there. And this is what Paul is saying. Keep looking ahead. Keep your mind on Christ. Keep your mind on his righteousness. Keep your mind on his gift to you. Let me ask you today, if you're a Christian, are you continuing to put your hope in Christ and what he has already given to you. Keep putting on the shirt every day, the breastplate of righteousness, Ephesians 6 calls it. Keep relying on Christ in your life and for everything he is to do in the future for you. If you're not a Christian here today, if you don't know Jesus yet, here's the truth, it's, it's as easy as putting on a shirt. Today, the whole direction of your life can change. 
Today, the whole foundation of your life can change. Today, the resurrection power of Jesus can be at work in you when you accept his gift, which comes by faith. What does it mean to have faith? It means to just agree with God, to believe that what Jesus did on the cross for you exchanged all of your guilt for all of his righteousness. And today that gift is available to you. One final thing. I wonder if the band could come and join me as we're going to sing a final song. Here's the two ways that you live your life. This is the comparison that Paul's drawn for us in these verses. You can go through it later if you like and and check. But Paul had spent his previous life living it on the basis of what he could do according to the law, trying to do his best. It was built on the basis of me. And what that produced was religion in his own life. What that produced was an observational mentality where he just saw things and aligned himself to other people. What he aspired to was comfort and respect in this life. And what that led to was the worst kind of pride where he thought he was better than anybody else. This is the alternative. You build your life on Christ and what he has done for you. That produces not a religion, but a relationship with God. And what that produces is not just an observation of other people doing it, but a deep experience yourself of his love in your life. And it may not always be the most comfortable thing, but he puts in you an assurance of future hope where one day he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. And how different than the object being pride. Look at me, the object is the prize. We get Jesus forever. We get eternal happiness forever. That's what's on offer to us today. Let's stand together. We're going to sing and respond to God.